Hello, podcasters. It's Tuesday, uh, right right out of Labor Day weekend. Had a tough Labor Day weekend uh, for a few reasons. We begin with the shooting in Odessa, Texas, and what that's really about. What is the media missing, and how do we have a conversation? Also, kind of had a rough weekend because I had to travel with a gun in an airport. Oh, my gosh. Uh, we'll talk about the insanity of the TSA. Plus Dave Chappelle uh, and the cancel culture. We've seen this over and over again with comedians trying to make points that used to be the, you know, what we went to comedians for. To laugh and to look at the world in a different way. Chappelle's now being hammered for doing just that. Um, however, you know, not every person who's uh, in entertainment is insane, apparently. Uh, one of the former... Uh, st- <laughs> Former stars of Seinfeld points out uh, that we've really gone insane as a culture. And he sticks uh, to the actual facts of the matter and and talks some sense into Hollywood. As Glenn's in Hollywood, maybe he can do the same thing. It's all in today's Mm -hmm. podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. In Odessa, Texas, we had bad news again. A gunman went on a rampage. And we all looked at each other, at least we did in my circle, and I imagine it's the same. All of us thought, this has got to end. What is happening to us? Well, celebrities know exactly what's happening to us. Bette Medler said this the NRA. For years, gun dollars have paved their way. Lobbyists always buy them something. So it is It is now the NRA's fault, according to Bette Medler. Uh, then Rob Reiner said, guns don't kill people. Politicians in bed with the NRA kill people. Uh, then uh, Casey Musgraves says, I love you, Texas. I can't believe we're all being forced to live in a constant state of fear. Second mass shooting in my home state in a month makes me sick. When will we live in a world where human lives mean more than money? Meaning the NRA is taking money and they're bribing politicians to keep the Second Amendment intact. Josh Gad just says another week, another gun massacre. Another week, another gun massacre. Alyssa Milano says, happy Friday, everyone. Oh, I'm sorry, this is Chelsea Handler. Uh, Happy Friday, everyone. And Republicans, how about no white supremacists with guns after Labor Day? Stephen King, when are the bench warmers in Washington going to do something about the river of blood produced by gun violence? Change the laws or change the ones who make the laws? George Takai said... When will the Senate act on gun control? How many more mass shootings will we see before we come to our senses? And Mia Farrow says, we have a crisis here. When will someone do something? So I don't know what you got out of that. But let's maybe go to our politicians. Our politicians say they have the solution. The former HUD secretary now running for... um, now running for president, Julian Castro, he said that he wanted to uh, expand background checks for those who sell more than five guns in a year. So now, now I don't know 
I don't know if he knows this. You have to be a licensed dealer, and you go through background checks to become a licensed dealer. But he wants to expand that. So maybe we have fewer people selling guns. Beto says that uh, he is going to push for mandatory gun buyback legislation. He says, as we, we're, we're going to speak as strongly and as defiantly as we can, but we're also going to take action. Universal background checks, red flag laws, ending the sales of weapons of war, and buying those AK-47s and AR-15s back so they can't be used against our fellow Americans. He's going to buy the weapons of war back. Now, now that we've heard all the solutions... Now that we've heard who's to blame, let's have a real conversation, can we? Let's start first with what happened. The police chief in Odessa said both the shooter and his company rang 911 after he was fired. But he left before police arrived. He was a truck driver. He lost his job. But that's not why he went on the rampage. FBI agent told the press it didn't happen because he was fired. He showed up to work enraged. Seven people were killed, at least 22 injured in the attack. Authorities have named the suspect attacker. We're not going to give you his name, but he was 36-year-old, 36-year-old man. He worked at the at the Journey Oil Field Services. We haven't found any links to domestic terrorism or international terrorism. Do you remember when we used to, we hoped and prayed when something went wrong that it wasn't an American? That we we wanted to believe that Americans just couldn't do this? He got into his car after he was fired. Police pulled him over as he failed to signal for a turn. He then shot the officers, and then he drove to Odessa. He shot at random. He targeted motorists. He targeted passersby. He was killed in front of a movie theater. But 22 people were wounded including a 17-month-old girl, Anderson Davis. A family friend said she had a hole in her bottom lip, a hole in her tongue, and her top and bottom teeth were all knocked out. Now, that's a pretty compelling story, but let me give you... Let me give you the last two paragraphs. The suspect had previously failed a gun purchase background check in Texas. We must keep guns out of the hands of criminals, said the government, uh, said the governor of Texas. Now that's a pretty compelling story. And if you're anything if you're anything like me, you were impacted by this story. I was with family and friends. And we were all together. And somebody came to the house and said, there's been another shooting. 
the entire room, everybody in the room went, oh, geez, where? Can we do one thing today? Can we just stop assuming that everyone within the sound of your voice, my voice, that there is half of the country that wants the other half dead? Can we stop assuming that because you believe in the Second Amendment, you don't care about children, you don't care about families, you don't care about what happened? I was with a good friend. And I saw the way he reacted. It, it, it stayed with him for a long time. And throughout the day, he said, just in the middle of conversation, talking about something else, he would say, all those people that got up this morning, they were going to a family picnic where they had plans, and now nothing. All those people that got up and had a son or a daughter, and now they're dead. Now, see, if I told you he was against guns, he would be okay. But his response was, I am going home and I am going to get trained and carry a gun because I am not going to let this happen around me. Now, if I tell you this, half of the country hates him and says he has no heart. We all abhor the violence, all of us. But just like that story, the headlines are all wrong. That story was not a story that was printed in the first hour or the first day. That story came from the next day. There are stories today talking about 22 injured and dead. That's not the headline today. The headline is in the story, but it happened to be the last two sentences. The gunman failed the background check in Texas. So how did he get the gun? Was he a racist? He had a long history of mental illness. And he failed the background check and was not allowed to buy a gun. He didn't buy this gun legally. He didn't buy it in a store because he failed the background check. So who sold him the gun? And that should be our discussion today. Who sold him the gun? How did he get this gun? That's what we should be looking for today. We should also be having a conversation about mental health. But even that is dicey. Because we have a preacher now that says, if you, if you vote for Donald Trump, that's a sign of mental illness. We have people in Hollywood saying that if you believe in the Second Amendment, 
you have some sort of mental illness. Mental illness is always politicized. When a country goes insane, the first people to jump on board are the psychiatrists. And they'll tell you who's sane and who should be locked up. It happened in Germany. It happened in, uh, with Stalin. It happens in China. You use the medical terminology and the medical personnel, and they're always more than eager to tell you who should be locked up. But we're not having those conversations today. We're talking about banning assault rifles. We're talking about banning semi-automatics. We're talking about confiscating guns. Joe Biden even said we should ban all magazines. It's insanity that we haven't already banned all magazines that hold more than one bullet. Well, that would be a musket, Joe. We're talking about red flags and background checks. He failed his background check. The law this time worked. Well, he was fired. He was a trucker. Well, we could go down that rabbit hole. How many truckers are going to lose their jobs in the next few years? If that's the problem, we have real, real issues headed our way. How long did it take you before you heard, and perhaps this is the first time you've heard it, that he was struggling with the suicide of his sister? Have you seen the place he lived? All the broken windows? It's like an old factory or granary. Can we just spend a few minutes just talking about the real issue here, like adults, and not assume that either side is bad, but we're just all Americans struggling with something that we've never struggled with before. Continue our conversation in one minute. So where do we go from here? Well, we could all be fired up by the rhetoric because there's a campaign going on. We can all talk about how much money the NRA gives people. Are you kidding me? We're really, we really are living in this cartoon world where the, the Acme Anvil says instead of Acme, NRA. Because that's, that's the kind of world we're living in now. We've boiled everything down to cartoons. You're either the coyote or the roadrunner. And the NRA is the bomb with that has the fuse that never goes off unless it goes off in the face of the coyote. It's the anvil. It's the box of bird seed. Let's just start here. People say that he was struggling with the suicide of his sister. 
You ever have a suicide in your family? Do you know anybody who's committed suicide? I do. One was my mother. The other was my brother-in-law. And I don't understand either. You never come to terms with a loved one. But imagine losing... Imagine losing a younger sister... Now imagine losing a sister and you have no family or friend network. You are alone. You're isolated. You're living in a... You're living in an old factory with broken windows. You have nothing. No one. And you have a long history of mental illness. I'm reminded of this hymn. Where can I turn for peace? Where can I find some solace? I know that song. And I know where I was when I first really heard that song because I was feeling that way and feeling very alone and I realized that I wasn't that God had this he doesn't have a friend I don't think he understood God and now our politicians are arguing nonsense the best of the Glenn Beck program. Hey, it's Glenn. And if you like what you hear on the program, you should check out Pat Gray Unleashed. His podcast is available wherever you download your favorite podcast. Do you remember how the world looked when we were kids? It was always so bright and so enormous, so loud, fragrant, vivid. And you wandered through it like a tiny little emperor who doesn't realize what they have. The adults preened and obsessed over their meaningless details every day. But from your angle, the life they occupied was fundamentally different from the life that you called your own. Slowly, you watched as the endless days began to constrain into something a little bigger. As the tiny little race car, the full-size dollhouse, shrunk in size... As that huge elephant of a toilet that you had to climb up on really turned into that tiny plastic practice potty that you once used, as the bumpers were removed from the bowling lane, as the training wheels were unsocketed from the bike, as the smiling world of adults occasionally revealed a hint of sadness, something you only vaguely understood. Then, that one day, you found yourself on a school bus or in the car so early in the morning, and all you knew was today was the first day of school. The idea of school was really kind of foreign. I mean, what could you even compare it to? 
laughing and laughing with dad and the rest of the family in the living room because he sneezed out some mashed potatoes. Running around the cul-de-sac with your neighbor friends who are really some of the only people your age that you knew? Or was it like eating broccoli? Was it was it like going to church? Was it... It wasn't like going to a funeral, was it? There was an earthquake tumbling through you because here you are facing the dark of unknown territory and you're being shoved right into it by some big fat guy driving the bus. When you arrive at the wax-scented building with the slippery floors, it's all loud bells and uptight adults herding you into some musty room or some stinky gym or some chaotic cafeteria that smells way too much like cleaning chemicals. And it's hardly smelling like food. That first day, you feel as untethered and confused as the troops who invaded the French beaches on D-Day. How they all look so desperately nervous as they waited in the metal boats. You know this because you always stared quizzically at your dad and grandpa anytime a program about D-Day came on TV. Because they always had this faraway look, like they were spooked by a monster that would always be there. Halfway through the school day, you found yourself laughing with other kids, kids you've never met before. At recess, you joined the kickball game, and before you knew it, you had to go back inside. Yeah, your teacher was kind, but that was her time. She could talk and talk and talk. She was a little serious, but she couldn't compare them to your parents. She, she was maternal, but in a different way, kind of the way you liked. And whether you realized it then, you deeply respected her. On the car ride home, you couldn't stop talking about everything that had happened on your first day of school. Maybe other people's first day went differently. Maybe yours was a disaster. Maybe you cried and cried until your parents picked you up, or... Maybe you sat alone at the lunch table, and it was the first time in your life you understood the meaning of really being alone. But whatever the case, you survived. The first day of school embodies the lesson that we revisit often in our lives. We like to think that once you make it through that first day of school, you'll never have to go through that whole routine again. But in reality, kids, it's gonna be like this for the rest of your lives. The way I like to think of it is, that there are situations that take courage. A job interview, an exam, graduation, a lecture, any number of things. Get to know them as you move through life. And that's just the professional stuff. The first day of school pales in comparison to your first date. Oh, your first love, your first kiss, your first concert, your first drive, your first drive alone with your license, your first big game or recital or performance. Those are moments that you'll never forget. And then there's the rotten stuff, the stuff you try to forget, the first time you get your heart broken, or the first time you experience honest-to-God betrayal, or your first speeding ticket and seeing those blue lights in the rearview mirror, the first time you lose a friend or a loved one. A lot of stuff's going to happen to you in life, and while it sometimes might seem like the world is a whirlwind of chaos, there is a point to it all, just like there was a point to that very first day at school. In other words, one moment you're as big as your backpack, shuffling onto a school bus, and the next, you're pretending to be apathetic and bored as you walk into your high school for the first time on the first day. Secretly, you're still terrified. And it's a terror that feels so isolating that you truly believe you're the only person in this high school, the only person in the entire world that has ever felt this kind of dread. That first day of school... It's an excellent glimpse 
into what the future holds, but in a good way. At its core, it's just an exercise in looking for meaning, and that's no easy task. Life is full of joy and disaster. Sometimes you get stuck in the disaster of it for a while. As long as humans have had language and thought, we've all wondered, what is the point of this weird thing called life? Sometimes, in really bad moments of despair or misfortune or weakness, we almost lose track of the point of living. Hopefully, we can remind ourselves today that it can always get worse. It could get much, much worse. Believe me, much, much worse. But even if that happens, there's still a way out always. Austrian psychologist Viktor Frankl, he's proof of this. Frankl was Jewish. He was in Austria during World War II. He lived through the hellish realities of being in Auschwitz. He survived. And most impressive of all, he emerged with a remarkably optimistic and humane worldview. He writes in his book that you should read, Man's Search for Meaning. Everything can be taken from a man but one thing. The last of human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. To choose one's own way. Wow, have we forgotten this. That involves a growing number of decisions that we have to make. And some of them are really hard and complicated. And some of them we're not going to like the answers. They're too complicated for us to understand, we think, which is probably the point of them anyway. Frankel wrote, There's nothing in the world, I venture to say, that would so effectively help one survive even the worst conditions as the knowledge that there is meaning in life. I have no idea what the meaning of life is. But maybe it arises from the relentless search for the meaning in life. And the first day, the first day of school, is the series of first days. And at each stage in life, we are and see miracles. It's unbelievable that, honestly, that any of us are still alive today. It's a miracle. Childbirth is a miracle. And at every stage that follows, every day that arrives is a miraculous gift. So... As you either fumble with your padlock, or you're starting a new job, new school, or your kids are, your first brand new high school outfit, your first grade outfit, muttering to yourself under your breath because you'd practice this at home, you want it to look smooth and natural, just remember that soon you'll be able to unlock the padlock without even looking at the dial. Soon you'll be too busy talking to friends, new friends, good friends, or a boyfriend or girlfriend. And the once impossible task of undoing the padlock is going to seem laughably minor. But you've earned that padlock. Just like you earn every day moving forward. You're great. You're marvelous. You're powerful. I can't think of a better way to express this puzzling and beautiful enigma than to quote from poet Alfred Tennyson. Yeah, who you're going to have to read. It's in the poem Ulysses, which is about the great Odysseus as he looks at life, first with callous anger and frustration, then slowly with this sense of amazement. The closing line captures his spirit. Though much is taken, much it bides. And though we are not now that strength which in old days moved the earth and heaven, that which we are, we are. One equal temper of heroic hearts made weak 
from time and fate, but strong in will to strive, to seek, to find, and not to yield. This is the best of the Glenn Beck Program. Hey, it's Glenn, and if you like what you hear on the program, you should check out Pat Gray Unleashed. His podcast is available wherever you download your favorite podcast. So I'm in the airport yesterday doing what I love to do, fly to Los Angeles to meet with a bunch of people in Los Angeles and the Hollywood type, you know, a day after a shooting where McCarthyism is like, you're a Trump supporter, we need to kill you. Except that wouldn't be the voice. The Trump supporter, you know, the voice would be like, hey, you're a Trump supporter or not a Trump supporter, we should have some fixings. Want to come over to my house, we can talk about things. Instead, the real hillbillies are the ones that are living in Hollywood. They found out about a... They found out about a, a fundraiser in Beverly Hills that Donald Trump is going to be attending. And they're like, oh, my gosh, we are surrounded by people who, who, who actually voted for Trump. I'm telling you, I know people. I know a lot of people. In fact, a friend of mine had dinner with somebody last night who wants to be a liberal politician who said people here have no idea how many people are just going to vote for Trump because they've gone crazy. Crazy. All of the people they're putting up are crazy people. So anyway, they just want to make sure that they find him. So I was thrilled to be coming to Los Angeles um, yesterday. And I'm on, I'm getting uh, on the plane. I'm going to the airport. And I said to my wife before we left, I said, honey, um, I got to bring my gun home, but I don't want to carry it to Los Angeles. I don't think that would be helpful. Uh, and can you just carry it with you? And she was like, oh, no, please don't make me take your gun. And I'm like, honey, it's a shotgun. It's not the pistol or anything. It's a shotgun. It's completely unloaded. It's open. They can see it. I know how to do it. I've, I've flown with the gun before, blah, 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 blah. And she's like, oh, don't make me take your gun. It's going to be a hassle. No, it's not. Hmm. So I get to the airport and I check in and I have to go to another line to check in the bag, which is a very, very, very long line. And all the way along, there are people there who are like, you in line for your bags? No, I'm in line for lollipops. Do we have any lollipops that you're handing out? Of course, that's what it says. Bags, you see me with all the bags? Yes, that's what I'm in line for. I get to the front of the line and somebody says, is that a gun? You mean the big box I've been carrying that is clearly a gun box that I've been carrying for the last hour while I've been standing in line? Yes, that's a gun. Well, you can't check it in here. You gotta go down there. Really? You know what? You should be at the front of the line. You should be right there where people are getting into the line where they're like, you getting in to check your bags? Yes. You should maybe tell them if somebody's carrying something shaped like a gun, they should say, you're going to try to check that? 
and tell them that person should go, instead of standing in this line for an hour, to go to the other line. So I go to the other line, and I'm not in a good mood. And the lady behind the counter, now I'm, I have to tell you, I flew Delta, and they were fantastic, fantastic from start to finish. Uh, and I've, I get to, the, get to the line, and I said, is this the correct line to check a gun? And my wife elbowed me, and she was like, stop it. And I'm like, no, no, honey, no, no, no. I, I just want to know if we're in the correct line. Stop it. The lady says, I'm a little starstruck right now. I just listen to your show all the time. And I said, good, then you can talk to me about this. This is insane. This is insane. And she's like, the gun thing? And I said, yes. She said, you want to know what's insane? In, really insane? And I said, yes. And she said, I have to ask you to unlock it? And I said, okay. And I figured I was going to show her the gun and make sure that it was unloaded and everything else. And uh, she said, uh, okay, now you have to walk with me down to the TSA. And I said, wait, you told me to unlock the gun, and now you're handing me the gun to walk through the crowded airport. She said, yeah, yeah, makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? And I said, no, it doesn't make any sense. And she said, yeah, all of us have been talking about it, that maybe the TSA should, you know, make that rule kind of like change, like don't unlock it until you get to the TSA, because how about somebody just comes to the airport I say unlock it. They do. We're walking through the crowded part of the airport, and somebody pulls out a gun in the unlocked bin because that's what TSA told them to do and shoots everybody. I'm like, this is insane. She said, yeah, yeah. So we walk down to the TSA, and I mean, and I would never say this if I didn't actually believe it, and if everyone in my party, my kids, my wife, who doesn't ever say a bad word about anybody, never wants to say. The guys I was traveling with, we had two friends with us. We all walked away from TSA, and everyone said, I don't mean to be rude, but were they mentally handicapped? They were like very low level, maybe 60 IQ, I think. And uh, there were two of them. And when we're standing in line, there's a soldier, and the TSA opens up his gun. It's an AR, and in exactly how I would have done it, he takes the bullets, and they're in a in a box, or he, in his case, they were in a plastic bag. The magazine was empty and separate, and the 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 uh, the AR was there, and it was open, so you could see there was not a shell in it. Okay, great. He opens it up and he's like, wow, this is a fantastic gun. You shoot this a lot? Yeah, he's a soldier. He's clearly a soldier. Yes, he shoots it a lot. Why are these in a plastic bag? Well, because I airports tell me that it shouldn't be loaded and it shouldn't be the it should be separate from the magazine. Oh, well, not here. You don't have to worry about that. Then he says, you can go ahead and put them in the magazine. So now we have a guy loading his AR bullets into the magazine. All you have to do now is grab the gun, slap it in the base, cock it, and fire. 
Okay, why would you have him load the gun? Why why would you? What what purpose does that hold? So then he's like, okay, now you just put that in there, and okay, we're going to lock it up. He puts the lock on. Okay, it's good. And some other guy comes out who has an IQ of maybe 40, takes the gun. The next, the next in line is me, and I put the gun down, and it's in a shotgun case. And uh, he's like, you only have one lock for this? And I'm like, yeah, I only have one lock for this. And he's like, it can't fly. And I'm like, I know the case can't fly, but your airplanes fly. And so we could put it on the airplane and it can fly. And he's like, no, it can't fly, sir, because uh, look. And then he reaches down to the top and he starts to pull it apart. And he's like, see, you could just kind of open it here and be able to. And I'm like, what are you insane? So he had to go run and buy two other locks. So it had three locks on it. It's completely empty. He's taking the foam out like, you know, I swear to you, it was bomb-sniffing dogs on mine. He's telling the other guy in front of me, go ahead and load the magazine with me, an empty shotgun. He's got to take all the foam out and everything else. I'm like, this is crazy. And it's, I'm sorry, but the TSA, there are good people. There was a guy in Dallas who was so great, and he was, man... The trains ran on time on his line. He was, he everybody was laughing and joking with him because he was like, no, don't touch that. Don't, t- no, don't touch that tray yet. Nope, nope. And he was just running it so efficiently and so right. And you all stood in line. And if you moved in line, he was like, no, no, no. I didn't say to go yet. Wait. But he had a sense of humor about it and he was cool and he had, he was doing his job and everyone was cool with it. There are great TSA agents, and then there are really bad TSA agents, and then the TSA just makes stuff up. Well, that's kind of up to me whether to decide that flies or not. This is not a system. This is ridiculous. There are really good TSA agents, really good. In Salt Lake City, there were great TSA agents. Did their job, looked you in the eye, looked at your identification, were actually doing their job. And once in a while, you'll find a boob or two that are just, they have no idea what they're doing. They don't fill you with confidence, and yet they have total control. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. All I had to do, and I found this out later, all I had to do was bring a miniature horse. If I would have brought a miniature horse, I would have been escorted directly to the plane. I'm not making this up. Somebody said to me just a couple of weeks ago on the air, they said, you know, next, you know, they're going to be horses as, uh, you know, assistant animals. You know, those those animals that can, you know, have, wear the little vest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I said, don't laugh. Don't laugh. It's coming. It's here. Did you see the picture of the horse on American Airlines? Someone brought an emotional support animal, and it was a horse. Now, I don't know if you're like me. I don't. I have a 100-pound German Shepherd, and he is a protection animal. He's actually gone through all the training. He has the little vest. He's got all of it. 
I don't bring him everywhere. I don't bring him on airplanes because I think it's kind of rude. I don't know if somebody has a bad dog allergy, just like I have a bad cat allergy. I don't do that. So we kennel him. We can use him. That's his job to make sure that we're safe. I don't do it because I just don't think it's right. This person brought a pony, a pony. And you know, here's what's crazy. In the article, it talks about how the lady was having to say sorry all the time because the horse kept jostling the other passenger in the seat next to her in the pony. And I thought, you know, if I'm if I gain another five pounds, they're going to make me buy a second seat. But if I bring a pony on, I don't have to buy a second seat. The world has gone insane. Ah, excuse me. Could you uh, could you maybe put the pony in the overhead? Because uh, I'm going to rent a pony, and I'm going to come into the Salt Lake City Airport on the back of my pony. And I'm going to have my shotgun in the saddle, okay, like the rifleman. I'm going to have that in there, and I'm going to ride in on my emotional support pony. And I'm going to buy the extra seat because I'm five pounds too fat. And then my pony and my gun and I are getting on board. I think the world makes total sense. That is an incredible, I mean, now that you've pointed out this horse thing, I've gone and of course looked at the photo of it Mm -hmm. how on earth how on Mm -hmm. earth could that happen we uh, we had to bring a uh, our little dog on the plane one time and didn't want and your little dog is like 10 pounds yeah like 10 pounds (laughs) she was a little fat at the time 20 pounds maybe uh (laughs) and uh but 20 10 10 of those pounds is is just in the eyes yeah that's true (laughs) it was a pug uh so but they gave us such a, I mean, just to put the thing under underneath the seat where it just sat, sits there calmly and does nothing for the entire flight. That was deposits and, and finagling and making sure. Yeah, like, there was so much we had to do just to do that one time. You can put a freaking horse. The horse is standing across the entire row. It's a, yes. it's a horse. It's a horse. <laughs> it's a, like a legitimate horse. It is a horse. And it is its head is like in the lap of the other passenger. And you're like, what the what? Can you imagine sitting down and somebody going, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Oh, is this is this my row? Are you in the right seat? Excuse me. Do you have a pony with you? (laughs) No, this is not your aisle. This is not the right seat for you. Excuse me, stewardess. She has a pony. You won't let me keep my laptop out under my feet. You won't let you won't let me have that. Everything has to be over. She has a pony. I don't know how we're all going to get out if there's an emergency because there's a pony blocking our way. Like we are really at that point in our society where a normal thing is hated by so many, and there's the cancel culture that comes out and goes crazy. You say you say one thing that's slightly wrong you post a picture that looks insensitive like there's a couple of those stories today where i think it was like kim kardashian and um what was the uh the lady from modern family sofia vergara posted photos of the bahamas they're like how dare you post a photo of your vacation when there's a hurricane destroying the bahamas and it's like 
And, and at that point, we're, we're so offended by the most minor things and then so accepting of the most bizarre things. A you horse on a plane. They made a movie called Snakes on a Plane because it was ridiculous. <laughs> now there are horses on planes. Like, that's a sequel you wouldn't even make. You know the two most underword, underused words in, in the English language today? I, I don't Shut know. up. <laughs> Shut up. Excuse me, I have a pony. How do I? Shut up. <laughs> no, I really have a pony. Shut up. No, but I want to get it on the plane. Mm-hmm. Shut up. I mean, we just need, I want a t-shirt. I want a Glenn Beck program shut up t-shirt because that's what needs to be said. All the, you know, this is really stress. Shut up. Oh, can I please point no, to it every time is- someone says we have to have a conversation about gun violence? Yeah. Shut up. Because you don't shut want a conversation. Up. You don't want to talk about it. No, oh. you just, you want to preach about it. Yep. You want somebody to give you clapter mm-hmm. and you want to win an argument. So shut up. Back in a minute with my pony. The Blaze Radio Network. On demand.